0: Stop avoiding your erectile dysfunction issue. Peak Performance for Men is offering your best offer yet. Call today to book your free consultation and free blood flow evaluation. 1-800-210-8181 Peak Performance for Men helps over 80% of men who receive the treatment experience long-term improvement. Let the experts at Peak Performance for Men help you today. All it takes is one phone call for a free consultation, free blood flow evaluation. Call 1-800-210-8181 That's 1-800-210-8181
1: For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
2: Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, M.D., I'm a psychiatrist in private practice and a faculty member at the University of Virginia. Each week, my guests and I talk about meaningful coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We discuss synchronicity from its many perspectives, spiritually, practically, and statistically. Why? To increase your connection to coincidences so that you can benefit from coincidence awareness in your daily life. I have written a book also called Connecting with Coincidence. Put that phrase, Connecting with Coincidence, in your web browser to find my book, my Psychology Today blog, my website, and social media sites. If you want to know how sensitive you are to coincidences, please go to my website to take the Weird Coincidence Survey Connecting with Coincidence. Our guest today is Tara McIsaac, a reporter and editor for the Beyond Science section of the Epoch Times. She explores research and accounts related to phenomena that challenge our current perspectives. Tara, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you for having me.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. Tara and I have known each other for several years, and I've been... uh, I've been always curious about asking her um, about how she happened to want to interview me. Um, She came to uh, Charlottesville uh, when she was living in New York City and working for Epic Times to interview me and several other people for the Division of Perceptual Studies uh, where we study reincarnation, uh, near-death experiences, and other parapsychological phenomena. And Tara, in her writing about beyond science, things that challenge our current perspectives, became interested in uh, synchronicity and coincidences, and uh, contacted me. Uh, How did that happen, Tara, and how did you decide to come visit?
3: Um, Well, I don't remember precisely how I came across an article uh, from somebody, uh, interviewing somebody at Northwestern University, I believe, and it was about the science behind coincidences, and it mostly talked about probability And um, I wanted to look into it further. So, you know, in my my writing, I like to focus on academic sources and and studies. And so, you know, there are certain ways to Google search, um, you know, for academic papers on on certain subjects. And I looked for those on coincidence and uh, some of your work came up. So I started to read through it and I thought it was very interesting. And I was happy to interview you about it. And then, you know, from there on... Uh You know, I really appreciated you always came to me and asked me what I thought about some of the coincidences and the work you were doing and uh yeah, from there on that 's just how it how it progressed
2: oh good that 's uh, very logical um, and since then we we've we've written a few things together for psychology today blogs and followed each other 's work and try to help each other trying to figure out what we 're doing with all this weird science sort of things. And uh, you've had some coincidences in your life um, that have been meaningful to you. Um, and let's talk about one of them and uh, Falun Dafa. And before you tell us the coincidence about the the book in Australia, um, would you tell our audience a little bit about Falun Dafa?
3: Yeah, Falun Dafa is a meditation practice that I do. I've been doing it for several years and it uh, started in China although it's persecuted in China, and it has been for a long time, especially strongly um, starting in 1999. And um, so a lot of practitioners there were put in forced labor camps and um, just horrible, horrible stuff around that. But the practice itself is really beautiful. It's based on truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance. It involves slow meditative uh, physical exercises like Tai Chi, sort of. And... um, it also involves reading a book called Schwan in which teaches those three main principles, truthfulness, compassion, and tolerance.
2: Beautiful. So you were interested uh, and were in Australia. Tell us what happened.
3: Um, so I had done the practice a little bit. I heard about it from a friend. And when I was in university, there was a club. So I did the meditation a bit. But when I was in Australia, I was living there for a little bit and um, I was just really starting to look for for one spiritual path uh, I was doing a lot of spending time alone in the woods and sort of you know uh, spiritual seeking kind of uh, thing there and I thought of Falun Dafa again and I really wanted to read the book because I'd never had before and I just felt like that could be the path for me And I settled in a small town called Denmark in Western Australia just because I was looking for a place with a decent surf spot and uh, it had kind of a cute feel. It's a town of about 2,000 people. And I ended up getting a job uh, at a pizza shop there. This, This man, Tim, and his wife, Tracy, they kind of took me in. They gave me a place to stay and everything too and a job at their shop. And my first day of work there, I walked in and my co-worker there brought in Falun Dafa flyers and uh, I, I just thought it was really great because I was looking for Falun Dafa and it turns out her mother was the only practitioner of Falun Dafa in town and you know I mean this is sort of small town western Australia there isn't a whole lot around either not a lot of big cities I mean there's Perth on the west coast but that was quite far away so there aren't really a lot of practitioners even in the whole region. Uh, so the coincidence really struck me. Um, you know, she was able to give me the book the next day. That when I was really looking for it, uh, there it was. I mean, the one practitioner within a certain area uh, happened to have a strong connection to the place that I was working. She used to work there herself.
2: How do you, how have you thought about explaining that one?
3: Um, you know, I guess. Uh, As somebody who is spiritual and who believes that there is more than uh, just, you know, sort of the materialist perspective, Um, I believe because I wanted to find it, that I was helped to find it, uh, you could say. Mm
2: -hmm. What about um, the idea of uh, human GPS, that the part of the help involved you helping yourself?
3: Yeah, yeah. There's the idea that, you know, if you're looking for something, you'll find it. Uh, And, you know, you and I have discussed a little bit... you know, even though I do have the spiritual perspective, certainly in my writing, I really try to just look at uh, the science that's there and, and try and look at how science explains these things. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about this human GPS capability where it kind of seems like people are able to find things uh, using some sixth sense, So that doesn't necessarily have to be something woo-woo. It, it could really be, uh, you know, different receptors in our brain that we haven't discovered yet, Um, you know, different kinds of information that we're able to pick up on that we just haven't come to understand yet.
2: Well, uh, Since we've talked, I tend to now see uh, it's a collaborative effort between spiritual guides and our own internal capacity.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I guess... uh, on, on some level, there's this idea that, uh, you know, there could be different energies that, that we pick up on too. And um, because I was seeking it, I was able to tap into that and find, find the book that I was looking for.
2: Also, there is some guidance, too. Uh, I, I, I think we make a, a kind of a Cartesian dichotomy between our own, let's say, uh, untapped uh, human potentials, at least for, for most of us, like the ability to find our way to places uh, that we don't know, that we need to be without knowing how we got there, uh, an intuitive guide that gets us there. And I think that intuition um uh, what we mean by intuition is so is fairly complicated, but I've come to think of it more as the spiritual around us combining with the potentials within us to partner to create the outcome that we're looking for,
3: yeah, certainly I think um you know from the spiritual perspective, if there are our forces or, or beings guiding us, um I think that. Uh, We have to be receptive to that and to listen to it, too. Uh, That's part of it.
2: Listen to it. And I I think, I don't know, I'm just getting lately to thinking that we can listen to the spiritual guides. We can listen to our own internal guides. And after a while, those two ideas begin to merge with each other. Uh, It's a way of um, increasing one's a spiritual development by recognizing that we're in partnership inside and outside we're in partnership with spiritual guides around us
3: yeah yeah bringing up the um the idea of you know spiritual development through coincidences i you know i i think that you know, as a spiritual person, I treat a lot of coincidences in my life as opportunities. You know, I guess a lot of people see them as sort of as signposts or yeah. or something like that. And I, I kind of think that um things happen for a reason. So uh, when a coincidence happens, it it can kind of uh, help me look within and and see. Uh, you know, if this is something that I have to consider, it can be an opportunity to develop further. And um, yeah, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of benefits uh, in terms of developing yourself spiritually as a person um, through coincidences. It can it can help people uh, reaffirm their own beliefs, but also you know expand their ideas uh, to other beliefs. I've I've studied, you and I have both you know read about coincidences where people. Um, maybe even didn't believe in anything before, maybe were atheists, but they encountered something that really uh, shook them and it it spurred them to, to consider uh, spirituality or to, to grow a little bit more as a person. Uh, that's how they feel anyways. You know, there are different perspectives on it.
2: Yeah, it's both those. Um, increase their spirituality, increase their sense that there uh, are other... Entities minds uh, guides around us that are discarnate that aren't other people um, And that we can use that experience to expand our own uh, our own potentials uh, our own interpersonal potentials Uh, And the this this coincidence uh, for our viewers in Australia was a was fairly life-transforming you were ready for it Uh, you got the book and soon afterwards you have become uh, a a fairly strong uh, practitioner of Falun Dafa.
3: Yeah, yeah, and at the time, you know, um, a lot of the Buddhist readings and and other paths that I had explored, it all came together at this time where they were saying that you needed one path and one master and uh, to guide your cultivation and and that kind of thing, and I um, I was actually saying in my mind at the time, you know, I want to find a path so that I can, you know, attain enlightenment for the good of all beings. It's kind of a Buddhist idea. Um, And so I really think that I had that strong thought that I kept reinforcing again and again and again. And I found what to me is, uh, you know, the path I was looking for.
2: Um, This idea of one path and one master. um, uh, That... I have shied away from doing that, uh, trying to go across um, spiritual traditions and picking from each one what I think might be useful. Uh, coincidences span like that. Uh, but we'll we'll continue this discussion in our next segment. Our guest today is uh, reporter Tara McIsaac and good friend, and we'll be back after a very short break. Welcome back to Connecting with Coincidences, CC with BB. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and our guest today is reporter Tara McIsaac from the Epoch Times. Talking about some of her coincidences and her studies of coincidences, Tara, you've uh, written an article recently on condolence coincidences. Uh, they have struck me as a very firm and uh, defined category of coincidences reported through many different cultures over many over much time, and they ha- they refer to um, how when someone dies in some way a representation a symbol of that person appears in the grieving person's surroundings and acts as as condolences acts as support asks, acts as reassurance that things aren't as bad as they feel they they help the grief-stricken person could you tell us about that article and some of the stories you ran across
3: sure the the art, the example that stood out to me most was this um Well, this woman, Jennifer Hill, she she wrote her PhD thesis on condolence coincidences. And she had a personal one that sort of started her on that uh, path of research. And basically, when she was a little girl, she was with her grandmother and they were returning from her grandfather's funeral. And as they were entering her grandmother's house, they saw a gardenia flower blooming beside the door. And it was November. It was definitely not the time for, for this flower to be blooming. And gardenias are her grandmother's favorite flower. And um, her grandmother hadn't really allowed her grief to come out in tears anyways, up to that point. But when she saw it, she felt like it was a sign from her husband who had passed away. Um, it was a symbol of their their marriage, their 40 year marriage. And she was able to let her grief out and to heal through that. And Jennifer Hill who, who wrote about this in her thesis um, you know, she reviewed a lot of the the literature. There have been some studies done on, uh, you know, people who have been grieving and experienced these kinds of coincidences and the impact it's had on them. And um, one thing I liked about Jennifer Hill's uh, paper, I mean, she looked at the meaningfulness to the people who experience these coincidences. It's not, uh, you know, it's not all about proving that somebody from the afterlife sent a message, although that's the question that kind of, you know, is in the background tantalizing us, uh, you know, what's behind this? Is it really somebody sending you a message? But the fact is that it really can help people heal when they see those things, they feel connected to the person who's passed, they feel often a sense of peace and, and love. And it has spurred uh, the spiritual development. We've talked a little bit about where um, you know, so for some people, it confirms to them that there is an afterlife or that there is some benevolent, uh, you know, intelligence uh, trying to give them some comfort because these, these coincidences just don't seem to follow the normal uh, rationale of life like a, a flower blooming in November when it shouldn't be at the at precisely the time that somebody needs to see it to help them, you know?
2: Yeah, very good. Very good. You've also noticed um, that birds uh, play a role in uh, condolence coincidences. Tell us what you've seen there.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I had looked through a list that you had compiled, you know, over the years you could collect some coincidence stories. And then I also read this Ph.D. thesis and I saw some examples in, in other places uh, as I was doing my research. And it just struck me that almost all of them were about birds. Um, obviously that flower one is not, they're not all about birds, but a lot of them had to do with, Um, For example, you know, this one woman after her husband died, she was closing up her house for the last time, the family home, and a bird flew in and flew up to the bedroom. And um, for her, it was a sign that her husband was, you know, saying goodbye at that moment, telling her to, you know, go on with her life. Um, And, yeah, the birds... Um, for example, there was the the Orlando nightclub shooting. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there were forty nine birds exactly appearing overhead when they were giving a service for the forty nine victims, and that coincidence really struck people. And again, it's about the meaning that it has for people. Uh, you know, a lot of people reported after seeing that that they felt um, healed, that it gave them comfort as they were mourning the victims. And um, so, anyways, I just was struck about. You know the birds, so it, it kind of made me think: Is that a coincidence that it's all these birds, coincid- bird coincidences? Uh, is there something behind it? Do birds have some special um, place in in this phenomenon?
2: Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock had a movie uh, called The Birds, uh, where the birds were malevolent, uh, attacking people uh, in a ho- in a horde uh, or, or in a cr- in a group. Um, but here we're and it ten- it's sometimes the movies tend to take the positive and switch them into negative, just almost emphasizes that there is still some coordination around. Uh, And in this case, with the 49 um, birds and the 49 deaths uh, at the Orlando nightclub, um, it makes you wonder how that happens. As you say, it ends up being what it means, even statisticians. Uh, some of them, like David Hand, will say, well, it's still probability. You can expl- explain it statistically. That is a very low probability event, 49 and 49, right when the service is going on to m- uh, memorialize the, the, the dead. That's a very low probability. But he even says, well, you've got to do meaning sometimes. But how do, you expl- how do you talk about a little bit how probability and uh, explanation work on that story?
3: Well, the way I'd see it is in terms of probability. You could say that there are a lot of funeral services where there are birds overhead and nobody counts them. And um, it, you know, it's a, it's just the fact that somebody looked for a coincidence to a certain degree. And so there's the large there's the law of very large numbers, which is usually what statisticians use to dismiss, I guess, the more um, mystical explanation of coincidences to say that it's just that you know, things happen all the time, and there are just gazillions of events every day. So it's natural that one in a gazillion events is going to be very surprising and strange. And because of perhaps, you know, the media, and we're more connected today, these stories are more likely to be shared. um, So we see them. Uh, So... You know, even something that seems that makes us want to say, "Whoa, what are the chances?" That's so low probability. If you look at the grander scheme of things, a statistician might argue that it it, it is actually probable that that will happen. But um, the
2: the the, yeah. the fun thing for me in any of these is not that it happens only uh, 49 and 49, but that somebody looked up and took the picture. That's a key variable in there. It's, it's almost like uh, uh, quantum observation. It didn't happen. Uh, it hap- it's a wave form until you look at it and then it makes it uh, a, a particle. It makes it a, a, a wave into uh, be- the wave becomes collapsed into something more solid. And that, that's what this reminds me of. It could have happened and maybe happens a lot, but you needed to have someone willing to look and how that person decides to look right at that moment uh, becomes part of the equation and lowers the probability, I think.
3: Exactly. Yeah, th- yeah, you're right with that. Um, you know, I mean, if I had taken a photo there, I, I probably wouldn't have counted the birds. Uh, but this photographer decided to, and that became something. And um, I guess, you know, in terms of birds to noticing that birds have to do with a lot of the condolence coincidences, you could say that It's because birds are everywhere, Um, no matter what country you're in, there there are birds around, Um, they're in a lot of different settings, outdoor funerals, that kind of thing. Um, So maybe there's a higher probability that if there are all these condolence coincidences that some of them would have to do with birds. But, um,
2: you know, there are other. Yeah, that's because birds are around all the time. Uh, I I I read a a, a, a funny one uh, about uh, a rabbi who had been uh, feeding ducks at a pond on a regular basis, um, and the the ducks were in, in a fence behind the pond. And um, at the funeral, uh, funeral march went near the pond, and the ducks got out in a row and followed the uh, f- the funeral. Um, To wherever it was going that's that's a little more intentional Um, he'd had a relationship with them and the birds uh, followed partly because they had a relationship and that suggests to me that somehow there's a consciousness in some of these uh, things that can do something we can't do which is fly around uh, that somehow pulls some of them to where there is grief and in a way that they are there to help uh, with condolences, to, to comfort the grieving. And it's a way of concretizing the spiritual into flying uh, beings that then come to us. They're almost represent- representatives of higher spiritual beings that we can't see. Yeah, there's
3: also the idea, um, you know, with homing pigeons and migratory birds, uh, the mechanism isn't fully understand, understood, you know, how they... Part, it's partly understood how they navigate. It's not entirely understood how they, um, you know, map locations, really, in their minds. and. Part of that has to do, uh, as far as scientists know so far, it's still a bit mysterious that with, um, for example, in homing pigeons, some iron particles in their beaks that help them align with the magnetic uh, field of the the Earth. And, uh, you know, if there is some sort of energy on a physical level that we don't fully understand yet uh, that we're connected to, that we're receiving. It could be that they, these birds are more sensitive to it and they tap into it. With the with the duck story, um, there's actually, there was a similar story about elephants that I read before, where these elephants that had a strong connection with a man who died came to mourn him. And it seemed as though from far away, they knew that he had died and they came and just stayed by his house. And it was very uncharacteristic, very unusual. Um, so, so, you know, it could be that, Animals are able to pick up on these things, too, and they just uh, maybe are a bit more open to following their intuitions because they don't have the complex thoughts that we do about, oh, that's not rational. I'm not going to go to somebody's house just because I feel I should go there or something like that. Um, And the, the duck story actually was, I think, low probability because of the details, too um those ducks I know the story you're talking about those ducks um had never left this enclosure before they they were always happy to stay within this area and and the widow she didn't know how they got out of the fence because it was a a fenced-in area so it was it wasn't just that they were the ducks were there at that specific time they had In, you know, 30 years, they had never left their enclosure. So sometimes when you dig down into the details, too, um, and all of the different elements that come together, the probability, the view of the probability changes. It almost seems to become lower and lower probability.
2: Yes, yes, yes. And this this digging down is such a a valuable thing to do, both to see if you can find uh, common scientific explanations, as well as to uh, unveil um, yet low, more low-probability uh, ideas that make it seem even more astounding. And when I, when I look at these low-probability events, um, I tend to say that there's a, a hidden mechanism. And the low probability not always makes me want to look for what that mechanism is. And as we're talking, I begin to see vibrational um, energies coming out of the grieving people that uh, animals can pick up. I mean, a cat named Oscar could tell when people were dying uh, uh, and go to their bedsides and a lot of other stories like that. We're coming to the end of this segment. Our guest is Tara McIsaac. Uh, We're talking about a range of coincidence possibilities and we'll be back after a short break.
1: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Bytman, MD. Our guest is a reporter and friend of mine, Tara McIsaac. We even have talked about doing a book together, and who knows if that will happen. So I will, I will now present Tara with a coincidence of mine that made me think uh, I was living in the Matrix. I like to go to, um, to Five Rhythms Dance. <clears throat> And I go maybe three or four times a week. Five Rhythms was uh, invented by Gabriel Roth, uh, a New York dancer who showed us ways in which we could dance rather than simply sit. It's a kind of a meditation in motion that gets you into your body. And the key things are your feet and the rhythm. And the idea behind it is to be able to become the music uh, and you lose your sense of self. That same idea of a lot of meditative and spiritual paths is the ego disappears and you become part of what's going on. In the music tends to be something I tune into more and more so I know what's coming. And I love when other people are doing that and I can dance with other people who are doing it. It kind of seems to get me tuned in to the rhythms and the music happening in regular everyday life where I think there are lots of rhythms that we can tune into through our intuition, through our bodies, through our emotion, through who knows what to call it. And those rhythms help us decide where to go and what to do. So I was. This is this last Tuesday. I got out of my car uh, to go get a parking sticker uh, from the meter. You have to put a credit card in to to get uh, uh, to get your time. Um, and as I was about to put my card in, a woman said, "Hey, look! There is a, a sticker here um, uh, that will that will allow you to stay until eight o'clock." And it was about six thirty, and I was planning to stay till about. Um, uh, eight thirty um but it said about eight o six is when the thing ran out so uh what would somebody have done of purchased one of these uh parking stickers uh, for an hour and a half and then just left it there that's kind of strange, but I didn't think about it i said no i'm going to have i'm going to go for two hours I, I don't need that so i I spent my six bucks on the parking meter and put my my sticker on them on my dashboard and went in. Um, and didn't think about it any. But then it got to be uh, about uh, close to time for dance to end. And usually they have a meeting afterwards, hold hands and talk about stuff. It's really beautiful. But I felt the urge to, to leave. I just felt an urge to leave. Uh, I needed to go shopping for doing some Thanksgiving cooking. But I just felt a strong urge to leave. Um, and I got to my car and looked at my watch my clock in my car. And it was 8.04. It was two, two minutes before that sticker, uh, that free sticker would have um, worked for me. I wondered about that. Um, here I got uh, a hint that told me that I was going to stay there for this particular amount of time. or At least I could be staying for that amount of time and I probably would, but I didn't think so. I rationally overrode it, but intuitively I came out right about the time that the parking sticker time ran out. So I started thinking about that a little bit more and that maybe when I was at dance, my intuition told me to go to my car so that I could prove to myself that the sticker was the, the, the free sticker was the one that I should have taken. So in a way to confirm a kind of a low probability event, but, but so you have to look uh, at what the details are that, and your own intentions. because I like seeing coincidences that maybe I created it, but then I thought again, it was really the right time for me to leave. I needed to go shopping, uh, that somehow that parking, that free parking sticker was telling me it knew and I may as well take the hint. So here was something coming out of what I would call the matrix out of someplace, uh, a hint, uh, almost like a, 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 an Easter egg or looking for something in the forest and looking for, for clues. Here was a clue about something and I didn't take it. How many clues don't we take? Lots of them. What do you think of this one, Tara?
3: Yeah, I like the way that you thought of it. Um, You know, as you're explaining it, I was kind of thinking, too, you know, when you saw that the time on that free sticker, it could have seeped into your, you know, subconscious or your unconscious mind. And then it just kind of made you think, okay, I'm going to leave now for whatever reason. It could be to almost create a coincidence that would, um, you know, you know tailored to this this um enjoyment that you get from seeing coincidences or um I don't know it's uh if 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 you take it as a a sign that that was the amount of time you should have stayed there um I think that we have these things a lot in life where you know uh it seems like things are going away, you don't want, you know, you, you have some circumstance where you have to leave work early and you're kind of annoyed about it or something, and then uh, it actually ends up being for the better because you needed to actually get something done and and everything works out in, in the long run anyways. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to say. Um, with a situation like that, uh, it, it could be that uh, it was it did seep into your subconscious and and you kind of on some level just decided at that time, oh, I'm going to, I should go. Uh, But it could be, it could have been a sign to, you know, maybe in the future when you see something like that, you'll think, hmm, is that a good time to leave? Maybe that is a good time. Hey, you're right. That is a good time. I'll take that sticker, you know?
2: (laughs) Uh, And and it's not just the sticker. I keep it in my car now just to to remind me of it. Um, It's just, that when a low probability event appears, this was a low probability event. Somebody bought it and then left. And this other person didn't need it. And so she offered it to me. The timing was exquisite for this. she had The other per- person had seen it, didn't want it, and was offering it to me right when I was going to the to to purchase my own. It's a very low probability set of sequences, Uh, again, statisticians uh, aside. Uh, And what it taught me and teaches me as we're talking about it is that I will again experience low probability events and uh, they will walk by me. Uh, They will be there with me and I need to be able to know when to grab them and when not to. I think sometimes... Uh, grabbing these low probability events may cause trouble too. So how do you know when to do it? And you have to make the decision in the instant. The, there's a the person I had on last on the program last week um, talks about organizational uh, leadership and synchronicity and um, human GPS and groups acting as one uh, because he had an experience in which. He was part of a group as an 18-year-old helping people out of the rubble of a tornado in 1953 in Waco, Texas. And without talking, this group worked as a, um, as a team, uh, almost like uh, birds or fish moving together. And he got struck by that idea that human beings could do that as well and tries to teach organizations and companies to be able to do the same thing. And one of the things he advises, um, CEOs and others to do is to be able to take the opportunity that presents itself in the moment right then. Uh, he was, he was, um, in an airport, uh, in Chicago's O'Hare airport, um, and saw a woman, uh, and she was walking past him and he ran and got, and got to her and, um, started talking with her, and somehow he knew she was right for him, and they were married for 20 years afterwards, uh, and helped each other a great deal in, in their lives. He learned to be able to seize the moment, and this was a much smaller version of it, this parking sticker, um, but it's the same idea. When do you know to pick? When can you seize that opportunity, that low probability that happens in that moment, and then... If those things happen like that, how do they happen? How do I explain that parking sticker showing up right then? As small as it is, it seems to me to be a very good lesson for me, for you, for our listeners to be able to be tuned in to mind and environment and be able to act quickly on what's in front of us.
3: Yeah, certainly i think that um you know the the useful coincidences and you know when to follow a coincidence or not to make a decision based on a coincidence uh it's dynamic it's like everything in life it depends on the particular situation you know with the with the man you were saying who met his future wife uh sort of through a chance meeting um you know i think that taking the opportunity Uh, when something seems to be showing you that uh, this is something that could be good, you know, taking that initial opportunity is good. If it's something that, you know, relates to a bigger decision in life, um, just giving it more consideration when you have time is is good too. Like with the parking sticker, you know, taking the sticker and being, and realizing, wow, that's a low probability occurrence. That's a coincidence, Um, you know let me mull that over for a few minutes. Should I leave at that time? You know what, that is a good idea. I will. But if it really isn't something you want to do, if you really didn't, you know, when that parking sticker was out, and you really wanted to stay and talk, you know, you wouldn't leave just because the parking sticker told you to, right? Um, And similarly, that, that man, if he dated this woman for a little while and realized that he didn't want to marry her he shouldn't just because the way they met was you know amazing and magical and coincidental in in a way
2: very good very good you have an example of um that uh when you're walking down the street in brooklyn
3: yeah yeah i um well i used to live in brooklyn and i was um just walking down the street, uh, back to my apartment and I was talking to my dad on the phone and, um, my dad had a car accident, uh, when I was a baby and he's brain injured and, uh, partially paralyzed. And I was just, uh, kind of worried about him. Uh, you know, he, he has a caregiver, but I just felt like he needed more care. And, and it was this thing throughout my adult life. Uh, once I became old enough to, to realize that I, I, can take some responsibility for my dad. I, I always felt that I wanted to be his caregiver and, and help him more, um, but I I was you know in my twenties and I wasn't sure if I was ready to make that commitment because I'd have to move back to Canada and and um, you know it's it's a big commitment to make for for the rest of his life, and so anyways I got off the phone with him and I closed my eyes as I was walking just briefly I wasn't gonna run into anything but um I asked the question in, the, in my mind what should I do about my dad and I opened my eyes and right in front of me in literally in red neon letters were the words on the side of a building assisted living um and you know I when you see assisted living facilities usually they don't have red neon signs with those words it was just it was right in front of my eyes it just seemed like a direct answer um so that made me think well, is that the answer? If I maybe I can't commit. I was very nomadic in my 20s, especially you know I was here there. Maybe I couldn't commit to staying in one place and being a caregiver. Um, and I considered that possibility, but you know, in the end, I, I realized that it wasn't the right choice for us. Um, you know, and I have decided to to be my father's caregiver, and I am now more stable. And uh, he's he's going to be moving in with me soon. Um, but that was an example of. It, it was, to me, very low probability. I mean, you don't see that kind of sign just anywhere. And the fact that as soon as I opened my eyes after asking that question, it was right in my face, um, it it made me consider that possibility, but I also just really looked rationally at the pros and cons and, and what was right for the situation and didn't just you know, follow we're, what the coincidence told me.
2: We're at the end of this segment with Tara McIsaac. We'll be back after a short break.
0: The Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself? finding safe passage through challenging times. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family.
2: Welcome back to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. I'm your host, and I'm with my good friend and colleague and reporter for Epic Times, Tara McIsaac. Tara, there's a bunch of things that we've gone through in our discussions, talking about how to categorize coincidences, how to explain them, uh, and how, how to use them as part of an effort to develop uh, a discipline called coincidence studies. And I, I keep working on uh, this idea and have gotten more now into looking at, co- at coincidence awareness as a path towards spiritual development, which can be part of any spiritual guideline or, or, or way, and that's where staying with one master and one method is something that I've tended not to do. When I've written about psychotherapy, I tended not to look at um, become a member of a particular school, but to see what's common among all of them. And I'm trying to see how synchronicity awareness, coincidence awareness can fit in with other schools of, of uh, spiritual development. It's part of what I'm working on right now. What do you think of that?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I looked at a lot of different schools and, and ways of thinking um, before I decided on one path. I mean, that's just my approach. Everybody, yes. everybody's welcome to their own, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that uh, there are benefits to understanding how different traditions view these kinds of things. I mean, in all of my work, I really like to look at um You know, knowledge and wisdom, I would say, that's been passed down through antiquity, through all of human history. I mean, um, I think that, generally speaking, you know, uh, the modern viewpoint often dismisses as sort of backwards or, you know... Intangible, you know, the the ideas of the past, and but I think that there's a lot to be said about that, and um, that's how people existed and understood their surroundings and and survived for thousands of years. And uh, I think a lot of what you're doing with uh, coincidence studies, it's it's helping modern people put it into a scientific context I really liked that about your approach that it uh, that it always seemed very uh, grounded and and serious-minded in a way that can that can appeal sort of to the modern mindset but it also um, respects uh, different traditions from from the past and and what they have to teach us and and I think it's important to take the the ancient knowledge and uh, and ways of viewing the world and to just see what merit it's it has and uh, you know think about it with what we currently know. It's not about going back to the past, but it's taking the the perspectives we have now, what we've learned as human beings, and um, sort of reincorporating. Uh, parts of it and and just looking at it more holistically to to understand you know uh, life coincidences, what it means to be uh, a conscious living being
2: very good, very good. Uh, that's and let me give you a specific example of what I mean about connecting up uh, coincidence awareness and spirituality. Um, one of the one of the ancient uh, out, wisdom outcomes is getting to the here and now. Um, Ram Das did a book uh, he be here now, uh, but all kinds of meditative practices, mystical experiences, get us into the eternal now uh, that goes on uh, for infinity and for eternity. It's really hard to be in that moment, but once you get into that moment of now, uh, it expands forever, uh, and it's a a wonderful place to be able to visit, if not be in for some prolonged period of time. And I'm suggesting that the Coincidence awareness, synchronicity awareness, can lead uh, people into the fullness of the here and now, also. And it, it, you can—it happens by noticing that something in your mind is similar to what's happening around you. And the more you notice that what's in your mind and what's around you uh, have some correlation with each other, the more you can see that many of the other events happening around you are also related. That Jung called synchronicity, uh, the definition of synchronicity was uh, based on a Chinese idea of things falling together in time. It was a causal way of thinking in China, ancient China, that said that things didn't cause each other as much as they happened together. And once you start being able to see coincidences between your mind and your environment you begin to see more possibilities that what's happening around you is are are all related to each other and that brings you into the here and now
3: yeah i think um you know not to get too technical but quantum physics i, I know that that's appealed a lot to uh, to describe things that we don't understand yet just because it's so revolutionary in how we understand reality but um you know it, fundamentally it's it's really showing us uh, that on a certain level there can exist things that don't really adhere to our understanding of um, you know things being separate, uh, whether it's people being separate or um, particles being separate or uh, events being separate in time. basically, it makes us rethink on a certain level, um, the the relationships that we currently understand in space and time. I think it it could relate.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm trying to see how events falling together in time um, might relate to the quantum physics idea of ideas about time and space being much more flexible than we think it is.
3: Yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, the idea is. In, in my understanding anyways at a at a very microscopic level where there are um, you know it, it's there are these waves, for example there's this idea of human consciousness uh, or the mind that it's actually um, sort of to simplify it these waves uh, so it's not that there are separate, neuron particles, and they're communicating with each other through these pulses, but rather that there's this wave that simultaneously connects different parts of your thoughts and your brains into your brain into a cohesive consciousness. Um, So I guess what I'm trying to say is that, um, you know, it's at a certain level, there's, um, it's a simultaneous connection Um, Does that make sense?
2: Yes, yes. A simultaneous connection. Um, Simultaneous connection of these waveforms that create uh, your thought patterns. Uh, And I'm trying to say, even thinking back about elephants and ducks, that these waveforms are not only around my mind, these coherent waveforms, but they're also emanating from or part of or related to waveforms that are around us that uh, Mm -hmm. other beings can pick up.
3: Yes, exactly. Um, You know, one of the theorists that I've been looking at, he's um, from the Netherlands. I think his name is pronounced Dirk Meyer. Um, But he talks about our brain having receptors that we obviously don't quite understand yet, although we're getting there, um, that can pick up on wave information. That's not only uh, only your personal thoughts are represented as waves, but you pick up on wave information from... um, you know, different frequencies in the in the universe in the world. And uh, it it, he he thinks of a a sort of a world consciousness in that sense, like you can you do have your own contained field sort of of these waves, but they interact with waves from outside of you. And that's how we pick up on information that we don't, um, you know, we can't really explain how we know it, uh, that kind of thing.
2: And you're talking about telepathy, for example.
3: Yeah, yeah, it can explain a lot of those kinds of things. Obviously, this is theoretical um, quantum physics, but it it just it's interesting to look at these ideas and to explore them further as as we continue to you know gra- grasp these things more.
2: Well, that's very consistent with my psychosphere ideas. I don't know that you've told me about this guy. You, you told me about the Russian researcher, but I don't know if you sent me something about him. So you can please do that because the receptors and waveforms are fundamental to the way I see all this. I see our ability to pick up telepathic information, pick up clairvoyant, um, human GPS. Uh, these are based on wave receptor concepts. And I just, and I, I look at, um, at, the the psychosphere is having something to do with uh, our mental atmosphere or being our mental, mental atmosphere. And in this mental atmosphere, we exchange information in some ways, and that there are not only um, waveforms that we exchange information through, but there are condensations of waveforms in the psychosphere, in our mental atmosphere, located uh, below the ionosphere and the Earth's crust. And in these Um, And these uh, condensations um, are uh, some entities that are helping to guide us uh, in our lives.
3: Yeah, I think that um, a couple of different, you know, quantum ideas that I've uh, researched, one being from Dirk Meyer and then a a more famous one that's been around for a long time um, by Sir Roger Penrose, um, who's a famed physicist. Uh, They really, I mean, he taught... Penrose talks more about the receptors and then Dirk Meyer talks more about the waveforms. They both talk about uh, both aspects, but, um, you know, what you're saying really uh, corresponds to what's being said by, by some physicists that I've studied and, and others.
2: Good. Um, I'll, I'll have to get that Dirk reference from you if you haven't said it to me. Uh, the idea that we're, that we're in an ethereal uh, pool, that we're in kind of an ocean that has lots of waves in it. People know that we are more and more that we're all interconnected, but the question is not whether we're all interconnected. We are. The question is, how are we interconnected? How does it happen that we connect with each other at a distance or even in person? And these are part of the science of the future that I know you've been looking at for a long time in various ways. And we're coming to the end, Tara. It's been a beautiful discussion with you. Thank you very much for being on my show.
3: Thank you again for having me.